Deuce, deuce. That's right. It's episode 22 of Cosmic Dragon. I'm your host, Sean Grigsby. Today, we're going to be talking to James Bennett. Not sure how you're listening to this podcast right now, but I wanted to let you know that you can subscribe through any podcast service you have, whether that be iTunes. Uh, I like to use Podcast Addict. Whatever works for you, whatever you like. You can subscribe. That way you can be up on the game for new episodes coming out. We talk to all kinds of cool speculative fiction authors, sometimes even literary agents to give those up-and-coming writers out there some information. This is the second-to-last podcast of the year. Next episode, we're going to be talking to Anna Smith-Spark, and 2019 is already looking awesome. We're going to be talking to Fonda Lee. Uh, and David Doglish might be stopping by for that one as well. And we're going to be talking to Todd A. Thompson, Josiah Bancroft, all kinds of cool people. It's going to be awesome. So be sure to subscribe if you dig what we're doing. Now let's get into our interview with James Bennett. Kick it! It's interesting we're, we're talking about cities because... In your books, you you feature um, a few cities, I believe. I know I've read that yeah. Berlin was mentioned. Um, and if, if it's cool with you, we're That's just jumping right. into the podcast. So for listeners, this is James Bennett. He Hi. is an <laughs> author for Orbit Books. And um, so far with Orbit, he has three out. They are Chasing Embers, Raising Fire, and Burning Ashes, which uh, just came out uh, what last uh, Thursday, I believe. Uh, yeah, yeah, it came out on. Well, I think in the UK it was the on the the ebook was on the eleventh, I think. But then I don't know. Yeah, I think it was Thursday. Yeah, it's been okay. a really because because I'm working at the end of term as a teacher. It's, you can imagine it's just been a bit of a my head is mashed basically. <laughs> I'm like what what's going on? I have a book out as well. So yeah, no, but yeah, it's out now apparently, and people are finding it, and, and it's great. Obviously, it's a great feeling. Now, did and you? Also, did you sign a three-book deal with Orbit? Yeah, it was a three-book deal with um, a kind of... I, I, I was kind of left loose to see how things went, you know, because, and it might have been an ongoing series, but as I was writing it, it just... It obviously just had a very definite arc, right. you know, and I, I like endings. I, th- I like completion myself, you know. I, I, I admire people who can keep a series going for 20 books of the same characters, but I'll, there's other things I want to do. You know, there's other stories I want to tell, so... Yeah. I mean, you know, you're a writer yourself, so... Yeah, I, I, just, I can't well, do 6 to 12 books with the same... I just can't. <laughs> that's it. Maybe no, three. No. It starts to feel stretched a little bit, you know. It's yeah. like, I, I was like... And you can see, I think when you hit a point and you think, I could definitely stretch this idea out and just keep it going, then th- there's something a bit counterintuitive about that. Right. You know, in terms of an artistic, I was like, well, no, you, you know, it's like kill your darlings, you know. Yes. Like, let, let go of it, because it's not... It's just... Otherwise, you're just going to find yourself doing this and be known for that forever. Whereas, like, it's not... That's not a bad thing, but it's like, yeah... Like I said, you want to do other stuff as well. Yeah, that's a, that's. I feel the exact same way because, like you said, it's it's nice to have 
something, especially if it's successful, say Jim Butcher. But even Jim Butcher has other things going on. You well, know, yeah. He has other things. I, I just, I couldn't, I, I tell people I don't ever want to be stuck in a series. And they laugh and they think I'm, I'm ridiculous because they would love to be stuck in a series. But no, I can't do that. I have too many different yeah. ideas. So, well, that's uh, the thing. It's not, rel- it's not relative. Like, people don't understand. And when they, then when you complain, they're just like, what? Yeah. So why are you complaining about it? And it's like, well, because, yeah, it's the difference between being, a, a you know, a, and someone who's entertained and a, an artist, I guess, you know. Exactly. Well, I'm not sound pretentious, but I was, like, ready to let it go. You know? Yeah. So the, the series is all about Ben Garston. And it is. not to spoil it for anybody, but basically Ben Garston is a dragon. He is, yeah. I mean, it's it's not really a spoiler at this point. Okay, <laughs> good they, point. The first, the first book was kind of like, stop saying that, because it was a bit of a reveal. Like, right. it's early on, it's early on. But, um, yeah, for people coming to the books, it was kind of, they wanted to keep the, the mystique of it. But, yeah, he's an 800-year-old dragon, odd, who lives in human form under London. And, uh, yeah, he kind of, back in the Middle Ages, King John signed the Magna Carta, but there was a, the kind of premises, there's a second secret charter, and there was the pact uh, that was to prevent a war between humans and remnants, and remnants of the last mythological creatures left in the world. They're kind of endangered species. I got you. So, yeah, there's one of each, basically. And they kind of, you know, they were acting as a spoke in the wheel of progress. So they were made to kind of, you know, it was like, it was like, it was like this, you can survive like this or, or will kill you, kill you basically and die out but from the human side a lot of fear in that as well which is why they allow them to exist you know like if we actually destroy magic then what will that bring so they were kind of at a stalemate so they kind of reached this uneasy truce i got you w- would it be accurate to call these books urban fantasy People do, but I think that urban fantasy, it's a weird question. It's not a weird question, but it's, it's kind of, uh, for me, I view urban fantasy as generally belonging to one place. Like right. if you think of Jim Butcher, I think it's New York, isn't it? The, the Chicago. Chicago, sorry. I've only read one. I loved it, but yeah. only, I don't have much time. So there were, um, yeah, and as far as I understand it, a lot of urban fantasy sort of centers on one place. Um, whereas the Ben Garston novels, like you say, they move around a, a lot. So, and it's not always urban. Either. Right. The action takes place not always in a city. So I don't know. I think they're more con- kind of contemporary than urban. Right. I mean, I have, I've had reviews. The first reviews of the first book, some people were very angry that it was <laughs> urban fantasy and it wasn't. And they go, this isn't urban fantasy. And it was like, I never really said it was, but. Right. Uh, you know. <laughs> It's a book, <laughs> simple as that, you know, like a yeah. story. I, d- I don't understand reviewers like that because d- I've, I've gotten reviews kind of similar. I, the, the most recent one I can remember was uh, it was on Smoke Eaters and, and the guy was like, this is for science fiction for people who aren't serious readers of science fiction. And mm, right. I said, what is yeah. a, what's a serious reader? What are you talking about? I, I've never really understood that because I've never had any, felt any antipathy towards books myself. Like if I don't enjoy something i just don't read it you know but i don't then i don't you know i don't understand a review that finishes a book and then just savages it completely and is angry at the entire genre i'm like why what like are you a masochistic you know <laughs> didn't you, why did you just stop reading it and move on to something that you do enjoy but yeah i i mean i this is 
I'd say around the time of the first book, it's all a learning curve, as you know yourself. So probably the first book, it kind of had the power to kind of affect me reviews. But now I just kind of just water off a duck's back. I can quite happily read a, a savaging review and laugh at it, find it amusing, and think, well, you're entitled to your opinion, you know? And that's yeah. all that's all it comes down to and if you want to be a complete dickhead about it then you're free to be a complete dickhead about it but you know that's fine but it's when they want something from you some kind of reaction like they're tagging you on twitter or oh you know, i hate that look at this you're just like what what do you actually want me to say i just ignore them but i'm just like i, I wonder and i'm not it doesn't upset me but i literally just think what's the logic behind it what do you want me to how do you want me to react are you just trying to hurt me right you know, it's like why you know why <laughs> just say that then you know what i mean be, be honest about it right just say you hate me for some reason i don't know but yeah yeah i, I mean understand I, that. I, I, I it's kind of eased off but with the first book i had some real humdingers i mean i had one reviewer call me a pervert what and, you know yeah some other review on goodreads ran a she ran a um like a forum about the book savaging mostly the prose in the first book which admittedly may have been overwritten you know but that's fine because we're all learning but she ran this forum of people commenting for over a year i mean that's an obsession right i was yes. like by the end of it i was loving it. i was like to the reviewer like literally you loved my book you you, <laughs> but you you lack the insight to realize that if you're running a forum about a book for over a year savaging it then it's because you love it right you know? why, why would you waste your time you know it's like that's a great yeah. point i think i saw yeah. that person which i won't no. call out but i know exactly what yeah. you're talking about and i just I, thought I, it was hilarious <laughs> I, I, I mean in my in my kind of process of it at first it was one of the very first reviews i got and i was gutted you know right. i read it and really stung because I, obviously it's out worldwide and you know these feelings of thinking I've made a terrible mistake and we'd be laughed at by everyone you know whatever but then as time went on I kind of followed the progress of it just as a learning curve because it's you know grow a tough skin I was like you have to be able to be allowed allow yourself to be criticized obviously and I'm not like I'm a humble guy so I just followed the forum and after the you know about halfway through I was like laughing at it and then just sort of also learning from it I guess some of the stuff in there I saw was quite valid, but I was just like watching the reviewer really, just like, what, what's your game? Like, what was your obsession? Right. You know, it's like everything said like a barbed comment to try and get some kind of reaction from me. It's really strange. Like, I don't know. I just found it amusing. And I think it's stopped now. And then she was like, oh, I can't, with, with relish saying, I can't wait to get my paws into the second book, you know? <laughs> And then obviously nothing, nothing, no, no comment on the second book, no comment. So it's all just like for show, basically. So it's about the reviewer, not the book. You know? Right. It's one of those reviewers. It's like, okay, great. Well, I'm glad you had, I'm glad you enjoyed yourself. I hope she's listening. I'm glad you had such fun with the, with the book. And obviously it sold tens of thousands of copies now. So maybe you were, you, you know, maybe you, you had a hand in that. Yeah, maybe <laughs> she helped. You know, exactly. Maybe you helped. Maybe people rushed out to buy a book that was so terrible that yeah and i'm cool with that so yeah yeah no problem well and the things she was calling out were like i thought personally were clever turns of phrase i mean i haven't i haven't read Thank the book you. to be honest but but I, I couldn't see you doing the entire book with just a bunch of you know turns of phrase and things like that uh but uh, i 
people people have too much time on their hands but i think you're right i think she really i think she loves you i think she loves your books uh she just doesn't know it yes well maybe she does because she's got a silent but i don't know i personally think the first book was overwritten but like i said all people forget that right we're not perfect people we're learning right you know? And, and you, you know, you learn the art of concision and you learn the art of, you know, all the time on every book. You're like, maybe I didn't do that in th the way that I could do it now. You right. know, it's like any, any craft, any skill, you know, you, you knit a scarf like 10 years later, you know, you're going to be like, look at the first effort and be like, you know, you're proud of it, but it, you could do a lot better now. So right. you, you can see what you, what you could improve on, but that's just part of growth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Was Chasing Embers your first uh, published novel? Um, no, actually, it wasn't, no. It was um, the second. But the first is under a different name, uh, and it's kind of like a gay suspense kind of novel. It's not fantasy, it's not genre. Um, and that completely bombed as well. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I mean, it got, it, that actually got good reviews, but it just didn't sell. It was like, this is what? 12, 13 years ago now. So, the, I mean, the, the publisher still has it, but they and still print it, I think, but um, it sells about one copy a month or something ridiculous like that. Um, but yeah, fantasy was my first love. So I regard Chasing Embers as my first proper, you know, proper novel, really proper effort. How, can you tell me about the process of how Chasing Embers came to orbit? Uh, did you have an agent that uh, took it? Did you have other publishers interested or was it always going to be Orbit for you? No, not at all. I mean, by, actually when I wrote it, I'd actually written another secondary world fantasy that I was trying to sell and I rewrote about four or five times. Like, I, you know, when you get fixated on a, on a project and I, 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 no, I must have rewritten about three times and I was sending that out to agents. I actually got an agent with that book um, but he couldn't sell it to publishers. And then I kind of sent it on to another agent saying, you know, would you maybe have a look at it? And the, and the agent was John Jarrold, who's my agent now, wrote back and gave me a two-page kind of, just an insight into how publishing works, you know, looking at the market. You know, it's kind of like him, it was, he was basically saying, you know, you've got the talent, but you don't have the, you know, you need to be aware of these other things as well, like the craft, the market, you know, so maybe go away and try and, you know, take what you've learned. I read a few books on writing. I became more like interested in studying the actual craft of it, you know, finding out where I'm going wrong. Because people are telling me that I have a good turn of phrase and good ideas, but I'm not quite hitting that. You know, I keep missing it. Right. Um, and he was literally like, I'm not going to even take this book on because it's not, it's just not market ready. Um, so I, I'd actually kind of given up and I started chasing embers, started life as a kind of not as a joke, but just as a side project, like an exercise. I didn't expect it to, you know, to do any of this to happen. Then I sent it, it was like a short story or going to be a novella. And I sent the first sort of two chapters to his friend who was like, you should definitely develop this into a novel, James. Do you know what I mean? This is like really good. And I was like, really? Because I'm not even taking it that seriously. Which I think <laughs> kind of comes across. I think that's actually what sold it, which I wasn't so fixated on it. So I just went back and I was like, okay, I'm just going to have fun. And um, I did it. I sent it to the agent, sent it to a few agents, not many. And then, but then the agent in question, I think came back, he said, send me the book. He read it by Monday, he signed me. 
Uh, he said he loved it. Obviously, he needs a lot of work, but overall, yeah, that's exactly what what you know what the ticket. Uh, and then he, you know, I was obviously bowled over, like, oh my god, I've got an agent, and not just any agent, like John Gerald. John so. Gerald, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm friends with him on Facebook well, as well. He's yeah. he's lovely. He's fantastic, great man, great man, and a friend as well now. So it's like brilliant. But um, and then he was like, I'm going to start submitting, but I honestly. I didn't really have, because I'd already had such a, not a rough ride, but you know, I was just getting nowhere. I, you know, you expect the same. So I was like, yeah, I'm ready. I'm braced for the disappointment. Um, and then I think I got feedback from three of the big six, which were kind of positive. One was like a flat note, like we'd never published a novel like this, unnecessarily curved. Oh, wow. As you get sometimes, yeah. Um, then I got really good feedback from another agent so we worked the book on her advice a little bit you know she was like there's, there's just like a thread that you need to kind of really put in there um, which I did um, and then I can't really remember I think there was like three knockbacks but they're all really positive right. you know they're like it's a great book and they have no doubt that you'll get a deal but it's not kind of what they were looking for right, right at that point in time and then Orbit came back, I think it's six months later, with an offer. Obviously, did the usual, fell off my chair, ran into the sea, <laughs> <laughs> screaming, like, what's going on? Um, part of the time, didn't believe, thought I'd had a psychotic break, an episode, so I didn't believe it. <laughs> you know, I was living in a caravan in West Wales. It was like, yes, of course, of course you've got this book deal. I was like, no, but I really have. It's really happening, you know. It's very surreal, so it's, isn't it? Yeah, I, nothing could describe that feeling at all. It took a long time. It still hasn't really properly sunk in. You know, I, try to, I tend to, to like look at it sideways a lot, you know, because when you look at it directly, it becomes a bit kind of absurd, yeah. you know, and overwhelming. It can easily become overwhelming. Um, but no, that I mean, it was great. It was a dream come true. It was all I'd ever wanted. So obviously I was thrilled to bits. Um, and I just get away from everyone and everything. Walk along the beach in West Wales, and I just ran into the sea. I had my like, yeah, you read, you know, amazing. Yeah. Like, this is incredible, basically, yeah. Um, and then the work began, which quickly muffled any feeling of joy that I previously had. Yes. You know, yes. It's like, yeah, the editing and the knocking into shape, and it's all a, like it's a learning curve. I knew nothing about the publishing industry or how it works or. You know the publicity required um you know just the work involved is a lot of hard work so my admiration for a lot of writers went up as well and seeing that they actually have to deal with a lot now because yes. you don't really have much of a boundary anymore you have you have guidance you have advice um and you have a great team but you know the days of kind of just you know writing in your room and everyone else takes care of that side of the business are long gone you know so you're kind of like so thanks to social media i guess so yeah yeah and from being kind of i guess a minority as well i'm not really used to having i used to only used to having negative attention in the main just what i mean yeah. suddenly having all this like positive attention was a big adjustment period it was it was quite hard to deal with at its worst but then uh, it's fine now you just get used to it that's, that is, I, I'm glad you brought that up. That's one question I was wanting to ask you: is that what, what do you what do you see as how the science fiction and fantasy community how, how has it changed and how, how much further uh, do we have to go? What 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 would you like 
to get better as far as treatment of minorities, uh, people uh, from the LGBTQ community, mm-hmm. min- uh, uh, marginalized people. Um, where where have where has it been, and where are we going? I guess is my question. Okay, well, I mean that's the easy one. I guess I think we've been shit for a long time, and and we've gone through a period of complete bullshit right. as well. But now. I would say I think we we are definitely on the right track, and it's been very very encouraging to see, you know, the response, the feedback from from the majority who are willing to stand with us as equals. That's really that, that's what it's all about. That's key because it's not about you know this idea of diversity being opposed to the majority is incorrect, right. which is what it's been based on. You know, we have to work together, and and that seems to be kind of slowly getting through and working. So now I think we're in a really good place to actually enable that. But before we were in this kind of headlong, you know, uh, them again, us, us and them situation, but the people who were doing the us and them were also my majority voices, right? which is kind of what was, I mean, it wasn't angry me in an angry, but it's very irritating and you're like, that's not, you know, only, only by, inc- only by including minorities can we solve the, the exclusion problem. You're not going to solve it by setting up proxy majority voices for minorities. That's just going to annoy everyone, right. you know, which is basically what happened. And also because you're saying that you are, you know, yourself appointing yourself to speak for somebody without their permission. Yes. You know, and you're oblivious to it because you're not a minority. Do you see what I mean? So it's well-meaning. It may be well, what may well be well. That's a difficult sentence to say. <laughs> it very well may be well-meaning, but yeah, it still comes across as kind of exclude is you know exclusionary. Because yeah. if you, well, why should you get to say it? Why are you not turning to a minority? I don't mean myself, but any marginalised or minority voice and saying, "Well, I've got the platform, so here, stand on my platform as an equal, and you say it." Right. You see what I mean? Yeah. But that that was expressly not happening, even when directly confronted. You know, it was like you were ignored, and it's like, well, that's curious because if you really care about the things that you're saying you care about, then surely that would be the first logical thing you'd do. You know, but slowly over time, I think that message has kind of filtered through to people, and they've kind of gone, ah, right. You know, they get they get it, and it's not even a lot of people's fault because they don't see through minority eyes, so they don't know. You know, they they they, they don't have that perception. You know, they think they're just doing their best to help. You know, when in, in actual fact, it can have the opposite effect right. because people then just listen to the majority voice, which means it maintains the status quo. You know, right. so then you just have a majority voice representing LGBTQ or, you know, people of color. And in the meantime, the people of color and LGBTQ don't get heard. Right. You know, and it's like, that's not really ideal. So now being more positive, I think we're in a good space where you're starting to see a lot more of that equality happen because minorities minorities there's no possible way of you know, where people react and say oh you're going to take it over it's like that's not possible it's like in the uk it's three percent of the population god knows how small that is within publishing and god knows how much smaller within actual genre publishing yeah you see what i mean so there's really no threat it's just being inclusive you know and that that's really what it's all about and but recently the feedback from people getting that message has been very very encouraging yes absolutely and it's it's grown to such a place to where 
when one asshole says something, <laughs> everybody notices it. It's not part of yeah. the of the the lexicon anymore. It's 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 not part of the culture. Um, if anybody, um, yeah. If if one that, asshole speaks up, everybody says, "Hold hold up, that, that's not cool." Yeah. Well, that day is done. They just haven't realized it yet, many of them, because they're ignorant. Right. You know, so like I've said on Twitter many times, you're dealing with morons. And, you know, there's only one way to deal with a moron, and that's to tell them you're a moron, you're an idiot. Well, you know, this is part of the problem before is people would actually engage them in reasoned debate. It's like, that is not how you deal with it. You know, because you, they don't have no reason. Right. They are hateful, stupid people. So, and they quickly run away when you tell them this. I mean, I've had a lifetime of it. You, you do, all you have to do is point out how stupid and hateful and moronic they are, and they can't argue with it because it's the truth. Right. You, know, you can't argue with the truth, so they tend to disappear. Like people say to me, how come you get so little trolls? It's like, because I just tell them what they are. I don't try and say, well, I'm sorry, you know, you have to make room for me. You know, I'm not asking for permission. You know, you're an idiot. To yeah. even approach the situation or the, you know, the issue in the way that you have, you're a moron. Like, why would you even go online and say horrible things to people that you don't know, you know, about their very existence? You must be have a brain the size of a pea. Yes. You know, you have a problem. You are the one with the problem. But as long as people coddle them and, and try to do this like they have a valid point of view, bullshit, which is bullshit because bigotry is not valid. Right. You know, it never has been and never was. Then it will continue happening. And the reason they're falling away now is because people are standing up to them. And, you know, it's not even down to minorities. It's down to bullies. Right. Bullies have, if you stand up to a bully, they've got nothing because they rely on fear. They rely on intimidation. And if you strip them of that, they literally have nothing. They'll run away screaming, you know, because yeah. they're cowards. Exactly. All bullies are cowards. You know, they pick on the weak. You know what they perceive as the weak because we're not weak that's that's their classic mistake we've had you know i think people of color would agree with me lgbtq we've had a lifetime of uh, adversity so we basically they've, they've created like super weapons you know yeah <laughs> you know inadvertently but that's what they've done you know so and now now they're what are they going to do you know, there's nothing they can say that hasn't already been said. Right. Outside of violence, there's nothing they can do. A lot of violence has already happened. You know, what have they got? Nothing. That's what they have, nothing. Right. So instead of entertaining them, what I've been saying to people is just tell them to shut up. Right. Literally shut the fuck up. You're a moron. Go away. <laughs> Don't even give them the time of day. Just tell them that and be done with it. You know, strip them of oxygen and throw them away. Don't, don't get even drawn into this bullshit about freedom of speech or you know they have no freedom of speech nobody has freedom to bully right you know? nobody has freedom to talk to people like they're dirt you know that that's an illusion that they have created in order to anyway you can probably tell i'm quite passionate about it but yes well that's moment, one i'm feeling very positive that's that's great i mean that's one one reason i, I wanted you on the podcast because I appreciate other opinionated authors like myself. Yeah, uh, but uh, it's, me opinionated. No. <laughs> you know, you're talking about that, and one of the worst types of bullies are the ones that hide behind ideologies, or also mainly like religion. And I, I remember uh, seeing something earlier that you said about people saying, "Well, my God says that 
you know, you shouldn't do that. And, and, and yeah. that's just so, that's so fucked up to me. And it, it, just mind your own business. Go, go suck your own God. Anyway, I'm going, I, yeah. <laughs> I just, <laughs> that was actually, to be honest with you, Sean, that was actually in response to, um, like something on Facebook that I was reading about, actually, it was actually about, um, religious inclusivity to be fair, to be completely honest. Okay. And I was just trying to kind of, like you know subtweet point out that that's just as bad you know right it's not down to what you believe in even if what you believe in is pro lgbtq right. i don't give a fuck because that reality does not it's not real to me just right. what it means so you can say to me hey well my belief in god says that it's okay to be gay that's like but i'm not i don't want your permission because you're <laughs> trying to give it to me via a god that i don't believe in right. and i'm awfully sorry but i've lived as a second class citizen under laws established by this religion right so what i mean that's like damaged and affected my life in a very negative way so just tread very carefully keep you know i'm, I'm not a religious bigot believe what you want to believe but don't i don't want you know this whole idea of like well it's, it doesn't say anywhere in the bible that it's no, no, not okay to be gay who cares right just what i mean literally who, who cares what's the bible it's a book it's a beautiful book beautiful stories within it you know but when you're taking it into the modern day you know you're voting very close to the moron line as far as i'm concerned if you're then starting to say well you know jesus had nothing to say whatever you know, I'm, I don't want to get too controversial, but it's like, yeah. I'll go there. I don't care. It, it's it's perverted. <laughs> it's perverted salesmanship. They're dirty car salesmen, and now they're finding a way to be like, well, hey, we're okay with gay people now. You can join yeah, our yeah. religion now. If you, and it's like, well, no, fuck you. You you ruined it. Well, it's not permissive. Right. I think Madonna says it in Justify My Love. Poor is the man whose, whose pleasures depend upon the permission of another. And I, I think that's very timely, you know, because that's what these people don't understand. Because they've never been ostracized or oppressed themselves, they lack the, the perception. They don't have that perception. So, like I said, it's not their fault, the, but they don't have that experience to realize just what an asshole they're being. Do you see right. what I mean? And you have to point it out to them. And some get it, and some don't. And some get it later, and some never get it. You know what I mean? But you have to keep pressing that idea that what I'm doing, how I exist, is not a permissive state. It doesn't rely on what you believe in, or what you think, or what you say, or what you do. It it's literally has nothing to do with you. Right. Nothing. Do you see what I mean? Yes. And once you've got reached that point, then you are in a position of equality. Because I am not saying to you, you know, the opposite is not is not uh, an, is not uh, what's the word mutually exclusive or whatever. It's not um, is I'm not doing the same to them. Basically, in short, right? You know? I'm not saying well, it's okay by me that you're a Christian. <laughs> so right by me that you, you've married this woman you loved all your life, you know? Right. Oh, you know, you it's, people, it's, you're so prom promiscuous, you're this, you're that, and it's like, they don't say, it's not a two-way street, right. you know, and then they're like, oh, and then immediately you get that, well, I was just trying to be nice, you know, and then they're the per persecuted, offended. this is old people, you know, this is very, very old, probably all I can feel LGBTQ plus people nodding along with me, it is so old, it's like, really, oh, sorry, I've hurt your feelings, you know, because I didn't allow you to give me your permission to exist. Now you're hurt. You know, like, wow. Yeah. Okay. You know, but anyway. Well, I guess the last thing I'll have to say on that, and I've, I've told this 
to people all the time is that the the widest spread epidemic of uh, drugs is religion to me. Yeah. Um, but let's get back to books. Um, okay. <laughs> but I, hey, we could talk about that all day long. Um, yeah. And uh, so, who who's your editor at Orbit? Uh, well, I actually have um, I've had three, four now. To be fair to all of them, oh, my wow. commissioning editor is Anna Jackson. She's the one who who originally wanted the book, um, and she's fantastic. All of them are fantastic. Then I have oh god, I have Sarah Guan. She's new. Oh god, I hate this names. I'm really bad with names. Ah. <laughs> uh, Joanna Kramer, thank God. Joanna Kramer in the US, who's also really lovely. She's the next kind of, uh, I think she's the editor in the US, the counterpart to Anna. Uh, Sarah Guan is new on board. I think she edited the latest book, everyone can be sure. And then James Long was like editing on the second book. Okay. So yeah, um, I've had a, a, and it's been great to work with different editors. You know, and they've all helped obviously make the books what they are because they're very insightful, very, you know, top of the game kind of people, you know. And I had very, very few difficulties or arguments with any of them because, you know, what they say tends to make perfect sense. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So sometimes it's embarrassing. You're like, oh, God, did I really, <laughs> did I really write that? You know, but yeah. No, fantastic. Yeah. So, but um, they're great. I mean, no editor tells you what to write. So everything is always couched within advice or guidance, you know, or yeah. maybe it will work better this way or this doesn't really kind of make sense in relation to something later. So, yeah, you have an objectivity and, I'm not, you know, I wouldn't do without them. I think they're fantastic. So, yeah, it's their success as much as it is mine as far as I'm concerned. So Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's great. Um, and do you have any books you're working on or maybe a deal rumor that we can get get a little news on i am at the moment i mean i was i kind of hit a point where i wasn't really sure because life overtook writing now this is the interesting thing sean that happened because before all i wanted to do was get away from work to find time to write right and now all I do is work and there's very little time to write, but I love teaching. You see what I mean? So yeah. everything kind of has kind of reversed. But yes, I am working on a book. I just I just hit a, a like not a blank spot, but I was like, where are you going to go next? And I, I sketched out a few ideas for more Ben Garstons and that, that's what we were talking about before. Of like the, the kind of fire wasn't quite there do you see what I mean it was yeah. like you could stretch it and you could keep it going but it, it, it's well, where's it going to end you right. know, why don't you just kind of bring that if you, if an end is in mind already why don't you just bring that end now you exactly. know And because uh, you have obviously as you know you have to be quite excited about a book to have the energy to actually sit down and write it and I was thinking well I'm going to start doing these like fillers you know there will be fun but they're not going to really have anything to do with the, the overall arc of what you're trying to say um and then i just have i mean i have tons of ideas so it's really just been a question of throwing all of them and seeing what sticks really at the moment but uh, i've now landed on the idea and the book that i've started that i'm going to write regardless and i think that's very important so what i'm writing now is not dependent on a deal as such i'm gonna write it anyway yeah there's a certain amount of freedom with that there's no deadline yeah Yeah. that's wonderful 
you can, and it brings you back to the to, to the basics again of being the artist. And even if even if the deal wasn't on the table, because obviously it's Christmas, everywhere's closed now. So this is a an ongoing discussion, and I, I'm I'm really enjoying it. I'm like it brings you right back to square one again. Well, this is how it was before. Right. You write the book, you pitch it. You know, you, you, that that's the game. But you you know you don't write for a book deal. Just what I mean. You write. Oh, absolutely. So you, it's like take take now this. I have another sort of series that I want to tell that's uh, sec- in a secondary world setting. So I've said the Ben Garston novels are obviously set in this world, but through what I've learned through writing them, it's kind of given me the confidence to say, well, you could actually just you know write something a lot more out there, you know, in a way. Oh and yeah. It's diff- and it's very different. It's very different as well so i don't know we'll see we'll see in the new year i'm sure i'll hear whether what they think okay so yeah i hope i don't don't get me wrong i hope to stay with all but i think they're fantastic but um yeah we'll see what happens it sounds i like different i I, i'm start i'm I'm in the same position to where i'm getting more confidence to write more weird stuff so uh i'm looking forward to it and we and we hope to see that coming from orbit or and anybody else soon uh it's all on the table it's all yeah. on the table right now it's all on the table <laughs> but it's christmas which means that publishers like go back in you know they they're hard-working people so yeah i'm, I'm not expecting to hear anything soon yeah um, i'm just going to carry on writing basically so yeah the all, all publishing goes into hibernation during the during yeah. the holidays well we're going to wrap right. things up james uh and okay. the question i i ask all of my guests that come on here uh and uh-huh. I'll, I'll ask it differently for you this time because i kind of like asking it this way is what would you tell yourself uh knowing what you know now when you first started out writing what what advice would you give yourself um oh god that's well no i think what i tell myself is um like basically on your feet soldier you know this is not it's not going to be an easy ride there's right. going to be a lot of a lot of work involved and it's going to be overwhelming at times um you know i i guess i kind of like a lot of writers i imagine you think you get a book deal and you think that's the end and you think suddenly you're on this couch and you know everyone's running around you but actually the reality is you're going to have to work it's a lot of hard work and you're going to have to work damn hard you know to, to make it fly and yeah so i just said i just tell me that you know i wouldn't have been so overwhelming if i'd have thought well i've made it now you know that kind of thing yeah and then you're like no there's actually like a lot of work and managing real life as well um but i'd, I'd be just believing yourself you know i'd say that to any writer you know you have to be confident in what you're doing but you have to be learning at the same time so it's kind of like a balancing act um yeah it's a long answer but i'd basically be on your feet soldier you know don't just sit there sort of you know thinking that this is it you know yeah things have only just begun big learning curve ahead major adjustment (laughs) period everything is going to get flipped upside down everything is going to change everything is going to change basically um the way and or even down on an atomic level of how people will react to your success will surprise you and shock you you know as well because yeah. not everyone will kind of adjust to it as well as you think they might you know so that's also can be quite upsetting um and then and then on the other hand really uplifting as well because it gives you access to a different kind of level of people if you like as well you know that you wouldn't normally meet oh yeah so yeah it changes everything 
and yeah. it flips everything on its head. But now things are kind of settled. You land on your feet, you know. Well, I have anyway, but yeah. <laughs> you tried to. We'll see. Yeah. Okay. Well, I stumbled a few times, but yeah, I got there in the end, I think, yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, everybody, we've been talking with James Bennett. Uh, his books with Orbit are Chasing Embers, Raising Fire, and the most recently released Burning Ashes. Uh, go get them. They're available everywhere books are sold. Uh, audiobook, physical copy, ebook, all of that. So, James, we want to thank you for coming on Cosmic Dragon. Thank you. Thank you.